Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you happen to be. Welcome to episode 50, 50 of the Groovy Podcast. Uh, my name is Ken Cousin. I am sitting here with Graham Roche and Jeff Brown. We are all together at the G3 Summit, which is currently going on in Austin, Texas this week. So we definitely wanted to take the opportunity to talk about Grails and, and how it's going in the future and everything like that. Uh, for those people who, I can't imagine there's much of an overlap with people who have listened to the Groovy podcast and don't know either of you, but just for the sake of argument, do you want to say a moment about who you are and what you what role you play in all of this, just in case? Yeah, sure. Um, Graham Roche, I'm the uh, co-founder and you know, project leader of Grails. Yeah, I'm uh, Jeff Brown, and... Uh, um, one of the other co-founders of the framework and the practice lead, the Grails practice lead at OCI, which of course is the home of the Grails team and has been for uh, the last uh, almost three years now. Yeah. We have our little Grails banner right behind us and everything coming yeah, from OCI. Uh, we'll try not to comment on the orange color um, involved in all that. You know, I promise not to bring it up. So, okay. Thank you. Uh, yesterday, as part of the beginning of the conference, there was a keynote address both by uh, Paul King, who I'll be talking to later, and then a second part by Graham discussing the changes in the Grails framework and the future and what's going on with that. Uh, is there anything particular out of that you want to mention? I mean, I'll come up with things to ask you about, but I was just wondering, as a, can you want to summarize what's the status of Grails and what's coming in the future? Yeah, sure. So, um, as uh, for those who uh, were lucky enough to see the keynote, keynote uh, I talked about the uh, latest release of Grails, which is 3.3. That's the current major release. And uh, there's a whole bunch of exciting features in that, uh, like GORM data services, which is part of GORM 6.1, mm. the new event system, um, the new version of JSON views, and so forth. Uh, and uh, yeah, going into the detail and being able to talk about all those great new features was uh, was awesome. And of course, then you know, discuss the the future roadmap, which you know, looking up and towards 2018, uh, where we have you know, Rails four on the horizon, um, the uh, work that we're undertaking on what we're calling Project Particle, which is not ready for public consumption yet, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, Don't and, worry, nobody's listening anyway. Sorry. No, no. And uh, a whole bunch of exciting stuff. I think 2018 is going to be exciting. Yeah. One of the things that seemed to strike me from the presentation was well, there are a couple things. First of all, one is I've been looking at Grails a lot more recently. Yeah. You know, and I am amazed how different it is now than even what I was accustomed to as recently as a year ago or whatever. I mean, I've been using Grails for many, many years, and this is not your predecessor's Grails framework. You know, it really is different. But the the thing that you were pointing out in the keynote is how quite how stable 3.3 really is. I, I did not get the impression that there is a major version release imminent. I mean, that there's a lot of planning going on for major releases, but that if you want to adopt Grails 3.3 right now, that really is the preferred approach. Is that reasonable? Say? Absolutely, Grails 3.3 is mature, stable, robust, um, tested, and, and perfect for building applications today. Um, obviously, you know, we have 
uh, a roadmap planned out with uh, the next major releases, and those are um, on the horizon. But in terms of building applications today, Graph 3.3 is a great place to start. Now, you mentioned that the data services. Jeff had mentioned that to me earlier. Uh, I know, of course, I've been working with GORM since I started working with Grails at all. How is the data services approach changing anything or affecting the approach to Grails now? Yeah, the data services stuff uh, that Graham introduced last night at, during the keynote. Uh, so it's called GORM Data Services, and it's a new feature or set of features uh, included in GORM 6.1. And it's a little bit tricky to talk about without being able to look at some code samples and demos yeah. and so forth. But uh, it's this really, really um, yeah, innovative, productive, and uh, efficient way to define your data layer, right? So you can write a, an interface that describes your interactions with the database, and GORM can generate all the logic and transaction management and, and generate uh, most of your, uh, your data access layer for you at compile time. So it's really, really cool stuff. And one of the, the benefits of that, there are a bunch of benefits, but one of the nice things about it is it's really encouraging people to follow a, a better, best practice for building um, web front ends to, uh, or even REST API front ends to your database. One of, one of the things that uh, folks have commonly done with Grails in the past is in your controllers, you're invoking methods like uh, domain class.list and, and creating an instance and calling .save. And um, that, that demos well, and the scaffolding did that. And, and so folks kind of followed that as a, uh, did that a lot in their applications. That complicates transaction management. It complicates a number of things. Really a better idea is for your data access stuff to be in a, in a service and not to be doing any transactional stuff in your, uh, in your controllers. And the GORM data services, while it's not designed specifically to, to, for, for that problem, a nice side effect of the way GORM data services works is it's encouraging people to do the right thing, to not put your data access in the controller, uh, have it in a service, have the service injected into your controller, and, uh, and then you get to take advantage of all the stuff that GORM data services has to offer for, uh, from that point. Like I said, it's a little bit tricky without some code samples and, and or even uh, slides of code, but uh, it's really, really, it's a really simple way to define your data access layer, and it's encouraging people to follow uh, what I think is the best practice, which we the the previous scaffolding, I think, kind of recommended a, a not great practice. Yeah, I would agree with that, and actually, that's where I encountered it for the first time. That's what struck me as I I watched the webinar that you did with uh, Josh Long. Uh, that's the was it Grails for Spring to Boot developers, something like that? Yeah, I forget the exact title, but that's what it was. Yeah, it was if you Grails Google for, that, yep. yeah, it's still available. In fact, you're doing a presentation based on that, and you'll have more time than you had in the webinar. You that, know? That's right. And, and just uh, <laughs> just a bit, I'm actually going to have to uh, run away here. Right, uh, we're doing right. the, we're doing the, uh, a very similar presentation. Uh, Josh is here, and we're doing a similar thing here at G3 Summit just in, in about 20 minutes. But I was really struck when you generated the scaffolding in Grails, that was 3.3.1, I suppose? Uh, we might have been using two. Yeah, that was before one, so right. two. So it was 3.3.1, probably. 3.3.2, I just found, uh, what, yesterday or the day before, something like that, just did my upgrade and I saw that. <laughs> any rate, you generated the scaffolding and suddenly the controller was much simpler. It had an injected service in it and the service had all the normal methods. In fact, if anything, it resembled what Spring Data does. You know, it looked like the an interface where you could add additional methods like Spring Data does, except that these were the normal GORM methods. And so I guess the thing that jumped out at me, other than the fact that you now have the separation of the transactional service, which is wonderful, 
was also that um, GORM, of, of course, always generated these methods for you on demand, right? So the difference now is, if I understand this correctly, is that was done at runtime and this is done at compile time? Is that correct? Uh, so in, if you speak about dynamic finders, then yes, dynamic finders were purely um, runtime uh, implementation. And uh, obviously, they had the downside of not being able and they don't work in kind of a static compilation context. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, they do. We have this something called Grails and Parsdirect that enables that. But generally, they are purely dynamic methods. Um, you can't call them from Java. Is what that's right. You, call, you can't call them from Java and so forth. Right. Um, Although, so, actually, when you did that, I learned the, the intercept cache and invoke pattern from your discussions of partly of how GORM supposedly, I don't know, in the early days, would generate these methods and then cache them on the meta class and all of that. Yeah. But you're saying that's that's still different from what we're doing now, then, right? Well, I mean, you talked about earlier, mentioned earlier about how uh, you know Grails is completely different to the way it was ten years ago, or mm -hmm. you know, uh, seven years ago. And if you look at the evolution of Grails in the early versions, uh, everything was done with meta programming, um, mm -hmm. and everything was dynamic. And um, as the technology has evolved and Groovy has matured and uh, the framework has matured, uh, we've started to incorporate uh, techniques that are better than metaprogramming. And I, I mean, I would, I, there are um, features of Groovy such as traits, mm. such as AST transformations that really um, eliminate the need to do any kind of dynamic metaprogramming. Mm. So um, that's your pattern that you talked about. Uh, was a valid technique of the time, but I wouldn't recommend anybody do that today. Interesting. Uh, with Groovy, uh, the way it's evolved, and with features like traits and, and, and AST transformations and ability to statically compile code. So we're at, we're at a, a different evolutionary period with, with Groovy and Rails, and, and architecturally, they're very different to what, what they were seven years ago. That's why it's... it's um, and we still have folks that um, you know, use Grails and one for next days who have no idea what it offers today mm. and how it differs. So, yeah, if you haven't tried Grails since those days, it's worth a, a second look or oh, yeah. uh, and have a go. So, do the data services use AST transforms or do they? So, it's all compile time. Right, that's right. They use uh, AST transformations and it's all compile time. And, and that's one of the major differences with uh, you mentioned Spring Data. Mm. Um, so, Yes, Spring Data does a similar thing in terms of implementing interfaces um, at uh, for you. Uh, however, it does so using um, by using a runtime created proxy, AOP, um, yeah. and AOP, and so forth. Uh, data services in GORM is different because it, it happens at compile time. So there's um, the and that allows us to do some pretty interesting things um, as well. Uh, so one of the things that GORM data services will do, for example, is um, check your parameters and and uh, methods that you define on the interface at compile time. And if there's anything wrong, you'll get a compilation error at compile time rather than a runtime error. Right. So you demonstrated that. Dynamic finders are a good example of that, right? So traditional dynamic finders, you can invoke a method like person.findAll by age greater than and pass a number as an argument. Right, and that's that's slick. It's expressive. It's easy to read. It's easy to write. It's kind of neat. 
Um, so you can define that same method in a GORM data service. You invoke it on the service instead of on the class. Uh, so it's just as easy to invoke. But with the GORM data service method, if you make a typo in the find all by age greater than, so maybe you misspell the word age, that code won't compile. Where with traditional dynamic finders, if you made a typo in the word age there, it compiles fine. Uh, and you get a runtime error that says, hey, there's no such property AG or whatever. Uh, yeah, right. At, at runtime. So it's better to get that kind of feedback at compile time. You get the, the type checking, you get uh, uh, more efficient code because it's all statically compiled. You get the better transaction management. GORM data services really are, uh, I think, one of the coolest features in, uh, in GORM right now. That my my uh, answer to what's the coolest feature in Grails changes about every three months because there's something <laughs> new new and cooler all the time, it seems like. But GORM data services is, is one of the coolest things that, uh, that uh, we've uh, produced recently, I think. They've redesigned the website, too. And in the documentation section of the website now, there are links to uh, GORM-related things, both for relational databases using Hibernate slash JPA, as well as all the various NoSQL databases, the popular ones, my, uh, uh, MongoDB, Neo4j, Neo4j, of course, is very yeah. popular, Couchbase, Redis, etc. Uh, so, I mean, I've used GORM with MongoDB years ago just to see how nice that worked, and you can still use dynamic finders and criteria queries and everything, and that was really good because it's a completely fundamentally different approach. Um, now, of course, the other thing that's been added to Grails in the last year or so has been the reactive approach as well. So your event-based RX form as well. So that now I think you you had a return type in the keynote of type observable, I think it was, on a, on a domain class, whatever mm -hmm. it was. So that was also declared in the data services so that it handles the That's reactive right. stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, talking about the original version of GORM, uh, it is a fundamental, fundamentally blocking API, mm -hmm. uh, and obviously built on other blocking APIs like Hypernet and JDBC and so forth. Right. Um, so, uh, but there is still benefit to being able to offload those blocking operations uh, to a you know a, a, a thread or an, a, a thread pool or a scheduler that that you can control um, in terms of tuning it. Uh, so uh, we allow you to offload those blocking operations and return an observable and so forth. Uh, thus fitting GORM into um, kind of reactive scenarios. Uh, separate to that, blocking version of GORM. Separate, right, to that, right. you have, separate to that, you have RX GORM, which is um, trying to uh, provide an API uh, that is different to the, the traditional GORM that is completely non-blocking. Right. So, um, and obviously, you know that in that in with RX GORM, we currently only we support MongoDB because it's the only database um, currently is with the uh, appropriate non-blocking drivers. Right. Um, to, to do what we need to do. Yeah, I mean, I've worked with um, with Spring Boot with reactive drivers there. And of course, these Spring 5 came out, mm -hmm. and that was the, the big advertised major change is that they, they had the Web Flux module. Mm -hmm. And of course, now they return fluxes and monos and all that. Mm -hmm. But of course, it only works if you have a reactive driver, and none of the JDBC drivers are reactive. Mm -hmm. But the MongoDB one was reactive. So it sounds like all that stuff is being handled um, in Grails as well. I mean, is it ultimately going to use interfaces from reactive streams like publisher and subscriber? Or yeah, I mean, uh, the the whole reactive space is a fast moving area. Yeah, and there's innovation happening all the time. Um, that figures, doesn't it? 
Sorry. And, um, you know, it's, uh, there's changes all the time. So it's nice if there is a now um, published spec uh, reactor streams, mm. um, which various implementations um, implement. And of course, uh, that spec is also part of Java 9. Uh, right. The, right. The flow API is essentially a direct stream spec and by another, another name. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's great that, the, the, that we can work with that API and therefore support a variety of different uh, reactive libraries from RxJava 1 to RxJava 2 to um, our Project Reactor uh, or even things like Arca or Or whatever. Jeepers. Or, yeah. yeah, so whatever implements the spec. Now, I recall you also presented a slide that had uh, event bus on it, I mm -hmm. think it was, and that was new to me. I hadn't seen that one before. Uh, was that part, has that been in there a little while now, or is that? So we had a previous, uh, yes, the, the, event, the events API has been there a while, yeah. um, but we had a, um, the previous implementation was tied to React, React 2. Oh, okay. So we decoupled um, from React 2 because Reactor 3 is, in fact, completely right. different API anyway. So there was no upgrade path from Reactor 2 to 3. Right. So we decoupled from, Reac from Reactor 2, and uh, now the events API uh, can sit on top of uh, RxJava 1, RxJava 2, Reactor 3, or even just a simple uh, executor service that you configure and define. Oh, that's right. So um, that makes it more flexible for different use cases and scenarios. And um, and we also added a, a variety of different annotations and transformations um, for things like defining publishers and subscribers that are either right and or listeners, which are a synchronous version of subscribers. Uh, so rather than you know manually calling the event method and passing your data, you can define a um, a method as being a publisher, and the re return value of the method will be published. Um, so you can get rid of stuff in your domain classes, <coughs> like uh, the um, the uh, event lifecycle callbacks. Mm -hmm. So in your domain class, you might have uh, after insert, before update, uh, th those methods. Uh, I think that wasn't a great idea anyway, because often using them relies on injecting stuff into your domain classes, uh, which I think is problematic for other reasons, uh, which we disabled in recent versions of Rails, by the way. DI into domain classes is disabled, mm -hmm. uh, largely for performance reasons. But in any case, that uh, having those before insert, before update uh, methods in your domain class uh, I think a better way to do that is to have an event listener registered as a, as a bean in the context. So you can write a class and have a method in it that accepts a pre-insert event and annotate that method with at listener or at subscribe, depending on whether you want it to be synchronous or asynchronous. And then that will be called um, uh, as your uh, event handler, right? And it can be asynchronous if you like. And now that, that codes out of your domain class and that uh, makes the thing, uh, it improves things in a number of ways. But I, I advocate folks uh, start taking advantage of the event listeners for the event bus for that sort of stuff and eliminate your um, uh, the, those callback methods in your domain classes. Now there were I see Eric over here nodding his head. And uh, so <laughs> I've got to go give a talk right now oh, okay. um, uh, in about uh, two and a half minutes. I'm going to get out of this you seat. you got 15 minutes. Uh, well, I've got 15 minutes before I have to talk. Uh, <laughs> would you like to uh, join the, the, the gentleman here? Uh, I should mention, the, by the way, before you do that, yeah. congratulations to both of you because you got that, what do they call it, a 
basically a lifetime achievement award, award yeah. right? You got an upside down star, which is all evil and everything. No, it's very nice, right? That's uh, uh, that's yeah. awesome. But more rock and roll. More interesting than that is uh, Eric here. I'm gonna go ahead and take the seats. All right. Yep. So Eric has won the go ahead. Uh, the 2017 uh, Grails Community uh, Rock hey, Star. Hey, hey, yeah. Thank, Thank you. you very much for all of your contributions, Eric. You're doing great work. If you're going to talk about them, get in camera here. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to run. you got to run. Okay, well, make we'll sure make, sure make, make sure you make time to talk about grails3book.com. Yes. Thank you. Okay, well, thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, by the way, the other thing I noticed before we before we move on to okay. that was uh, the, the, the move to traits again inside the testing framework. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that... We just switched over to the at test for or, mm -hmm. and the mock and all that, and now those are not being used anymore. Instead, you're using uh, domain class test, I think, or whatever it was. Yeah. There were various domain tests and yeah. test, control tests and so forth. Various traits in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, uh, just to be clear, the the previous at test for and mock at mock etc. is still out there. Mm -hmm. It's a library uh, that is separate to Grails itself. Mm. So, you know, if you're already using that approach, then that continues to exist and it continues to be a, a thing. Uh, so yeah, the tests themselves so don't no, look like they were any different. Yeah, so there's no upgrade uh, part, upgrade hassle on, on that front. Um, but, uh, you know, with ASC transforms, it's, it's often a case of finding that balance um, between some of the cool things they offer and, and um, providing a kind of better user experience for consumers of the transform. And in, the, in many cases, traits often are superior in that sense because, uh, you know, uh, you can kind of groovy dock the methods they provide. Mm. And people can navigate into them. And, okay. You know, uh, and it's, it's there that, that bit easier to de debug and so forth, um, yeah, which for certain use cases is important. Um, uh, for others, it's it's uh, for other other use cases, AC transforms could just be like an implementation detail that you don't you know care about, um, you know, debugging into them necessarily. But uh, in the case of um, of the test framework, uh, we found that folks uh, found it a little bit maybe frustrating at times understanding how the framework test framework itself worked. Okay. So the trait based one is dramatically simplified. Yeah. Um, uh, it's you know just a bunch of traits. Uh, it's also designed specifically for Spock. Uh, so yeah. if you want to carry, if you are a JUnit user uh, for whatever reason, um, and you're not using Spock, uh, you would need to continue using the AST transform based approach. Oh, okay. So because uh, the, the the trait based one is designed around Spock extensions and so forth. So. Um, but anyway, it's dramatically simpler, easier to understand, which will you know make folks able be able to uh, debug it and um, contribute to it as well, improve, improving it um, you know, a lot easier. Yeah, one thing I noticed when I was <coughs> testing out the new trait framework is that mm -hmm. there was a feature I wanted, but I could just mix two traits together and get that feature I wanted. So oh. I can yeah, so take your traits. Composition of the traits is, yep. is useful. So take so your traits, my traits, and kind of mix them together, or you know, yeah. make a new test trait based on it. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, obviously traits are great uh, because you can still subcast specification from Spock, mm. but then you can implement various traits to, uh, like you can implement uh, controller tests and service tests and combine them into a controller that tests that injects the service and you know mm -hmm. have that kind of 
feels like more like an integration test, even though it's still a unit test. Mm -hmm. really. Yeah. Interesting. Now, another thing that I noticed um, when I was browsing around the, the website is uh, the newly redesigned website has uh, a nice link to the various profiles right. as well, yeah. which has always been under-documented, if you will, you know? Yeah, so the the profile feature is is, is really cool. You know, it's a way to extend, um, you know, the types of apps you can build with Grails. And uh, we've had a number of, you know, third-party profiles contributed as well for developing apps with uh, Grails and Varden and, um, you know, uh, uh, other frameworks and so forth. And, um, but, we, you know, we, improving the discoverability and the documentation around them was always a task that was kind of left on the back burner to-do list. Mm. So it's nice, nice that that information is now there on the website and accessible and understandable and so forth. And it ties in nicely with the um, start.grails.org. Um, right, the app, so, app Forge, I think it's yeah, called. Yeah. yeah, so that's very similar to, again, Spring Boot has a start.spring.io and, yeah. and other frameworks have joining this idea. Again, this is relatively old news for Grails, but mm -hmm. it might be new to the listeners. Now you can go to start.grails.org or Org, yeah, and just select the features you want, and, and you can even access it programmatically if you want. And not only does it generate your app, I should mention it also generates the Grails wrapper. Right. Yeah. So that you don't even have to download and install Grails. You can no. just run from the wrapper. Yeah, as long, you know, if you have a clean machine with uh, nothing on it, um, part of yeah, Java is the minimum requirement, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, you can, you know, literally go to start.grails.org and it's accessible via curl. So you can say curl, start.grails.org, and it will send you down a zip file, your app, mm -hmm. uh, unzip it, and then just do great, uh, Grails W run up and we'll run it without having Grails installed at all. Now, one of the profiles I always liked, and I know you did this in, in your book, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, was the, the REST API profile, of course, includes the JSON views right. section. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that a lot of people don't know about. You know, mm -hmm. it's so Now, again, this is, relatively speaking, old news. This has been around in Grails now for uh, at least a couple of versions, you know, right, at least yeah. since 3.0. Uh, do you want to comment at all on the JSON views aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, what we found is, um, you know, in uh, when uh, in, in the early versions when of of when folks were starting to use Grails to build REST APIs, hmm. uh, most folks turned to the converters API, right. um, and mm -hmm. um, in, in order to kind of convert their kind of domain class or objects into a JSON representation. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was um, people would uh, have a lot of logic and uh, registering different kind of marshallers and so forth right. um, to marshal objects to, to JSON. And it ended up becoming a bit of a mess because essentially um, what you're doing there is uh, essentially defining your view logic, but somewhere else, either in like <laughs> bootstrap.groovy would be massive or, right. or as beans or, or, you know, or somewhere else, somewhere else in your app would be these marshallers defined instead of the logical place, which is as a view. Um, and, um, you know, the requirements is normally quite simple. Uh, a lot of people are happy with the default JSON that Rails generates, but sometimes you want to deviate or, or you want to, um, Modify the representation, or you know, yeah, only render a certain amount of properties, or change the name of field, and it makes absolute sense to um, 
to define that kind of uh, view rendering logic essentially in a view. And JSON views is essentially uh, your equivalent of uh, GSP or whatever, but for producing JSON. So, um, uh, and it's, you know, that's like a compiled template that um, essentially are easy to understand and follow and support for things like HAL and JSON API and various books and so forth. As I recall, they, uh, that documentation is now split onto another section too. So that's at what views dot views dot yeah. yeah, and yeah, the whole uh, project actually is um, relatively flexible in that um, uh, it's called views dot not JSON views because right. um, the whole infrastructure and code base is based on the notion that the view could be. Uh, use kind of any formats. So there's actually a markup views um, sub-project, for example, which lets you using Groupies markup builder oh, I didn't define see a view. And in, if you're using producing XML, which I'm not sure if anybody does anymore, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, leaving it you know flexible and open for other use cases. I know the GSP wound up under gsp.grails.org as well. So that's, right. that's moved around also. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so GSP is not, you know, completely split up from, from Grails. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, going back to that, how much Grails has changed over the years, mm -hmm. uh, over the last you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years, it's very modular now. So mm -hmm. uh, you know, GSP is separated out into a separate sub-project. The async libraries are a separate sub-project. Right. Uh, GORM is a separate sub-project. The actual mm, core Grails project is actually really quite small uh, now. Uh, it's you know, essentially a plugin system and um, you know, some, uh, some of the web uh, layer APIs. That reminded me of one other thing you commented on, is that by working with some of these you know, uh, modularization approaches, you managed to cut down the size of the output war file, jar file, whatever it is you happen to be using considerably. Yeah, so we eliminated a lot of third-party dependencies and uh, modularized Grails a lot, a lot better. So, uh, you know, a Grails 3.2 application um, weighed in at about 75 megabyte or something. Mm. Um, uh, and a Grails 3.3 application is half, essentially around half that in size. So that'll be much better for microservices to be yeah, in the cloud point, or what have uh, you. Yeah, uh, any space saving, you know. Obviously, uh, we're not going to use as much bandwidth as Netflix or anything, but uh, saving bandwidth, uh, I'm yeah. sure, somewhere is going to help. Uh, I think those are all the major features I can think of that you brought up in the keynote. Um, is there anything you wanted to say about things coming in the future, or any time frames, or, or you know, any of that? Yeah, well, uh, on the Grails forefront, um, you know, we're waiting on um, some of our kind of projects to be released. Uh, so obviously Grails is built on Spring Boot, as mm -hmm. you know, and it's built on Spring. So Spring 5 is up, but Spring Boot 2 is still not up yet. So we're waiting for that to, to happen. And we also have to monitor and check what um, final version of Pymate we agreed to commit to for, right. uh, for Grails uh, 4 yeah. and GORM 7. Um, so um, once those things are out and stabilized, then you know we'll have to update the core framework, and, and uh, obviously all of those core dependencies have also um, dropping 
support for Java 7, so be Java 8 baseline. So makes that makes sense at that point to name it Grails 4. And uh, yeah, so uh, that's Grails 4 will be a 2018 thing for sure. Uh, we're not prepared to commit to any kind of date. Yet, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, man, you know, it sounds like that's still a little bit away, which means that we, we're going to be comfortably with Grails 3 for a little while. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges people have had with Grails 3 is that the there were no books on Grails 3. Everything right. was on 2.x, and therefore you had to go to the user manual, which was good. But mm -hmm. still, it'd be nice to have something that was a coordinated tutorial designed to teach you Grails 3, yeah. which is basically my segue to... Yeah. We now have a Grails 3 book, right? Yes. And uh, it's ironic, by the way, that this is not why you won the award, interestingly no, enough, no. right? No, that's that's right. It's, uh, it's fantastic that you, he, I mean, Eric has, beyond the book, contributed so much to the community. Yeah. Uh, he is literally, you know, the whole time answering questions on Slack and uh, provided a huge amount of contribution over the years to the plugins, to the website, to to a whole bunch of stuff, so we appreciate Thank you. everything that he's done over the years. Yeah, Jeff mentioned that there was a, a poll for the community award. Yeah. Uh, who would, you know, because the logical person to give it to was going to be Eric anyway. Yeah. And then they went, well, actually, we should open this up to the community. Yeah. And overwhelmingly, a decision was. Yeah, it was an, an easy decision for the folks. I think. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And I, <clears throat> I didn't expect it, and the the way it was delivered to me last night it was. You know, kind of interesting. I didn't realize it was coming, so it's uh, that's why you had your Midwest JavaScript shirt. Yeah, yeah. No, I got I have a grill shirt, <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't realize I'd be standing in front of a camera. So, yes, no, I I appreciate it. I mean, Grails is an awesome framework, and you know, I got this nice little uh, grill. Um, <coughs> what does it say actually? Does it uh, say on there, Eric Helga? It's Helgeson, yeah. right? Uh, Grails Rockstar 2017, isn't that gorgeous? I mean, yeah, you know, awesome. something to aspire to in the <laughs> yeah. community. Yes, and that's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate. I mean, I'm just part of the community. I like to, you know, help people, help solve problems. Um, writing the book was something I always wanted to do. It's it was a lot of work, but uh, got it done. But yeah, Grails is a great framework. It's um, I love developing it. I love you know, helping people, building things. Um, yeah, so uh, it's awesome to be recognized for that. And, I mean, we've mentioned the book previously on the podcast, mm -hmm. but what's different this time, of course, is that it's about ready to go one yeah, out, right? Yeah, it'll go one out this week. I've been preparing my slides. I'm speaking today at 3 o'clock, so mm. I will uh, hit the 1.0 button here this Friday. So Conf Conference-driven development. Yep, exactly. It's just a couple minor things, but it'll be 1.0, <laughs> and uh, it'll be a living book as well. So um, it's based on Grails 3.2 right now. It'll be updated to Grails 3.3 mm. uh, when a couple of public plugins that I use in the book are updated. And uh, when Grails 4 comes out, maybe it'll be updated to Grails 4. I'll have to buy a new domain name, though, because uh, yeah, it's Grails 3 book. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's, again, we have to emphasize it's Grails 3 book. Yeah, maybe we should yeah. just start adopting um, like Chrome-like version numbers. Or, <laughs> yeah. Firefox. Yes, exactly. 14. Well, I actually did. Yeah, Grails 67. Just as yeah. long as we avoid, avoid Make Java it expensive version. for you. Yes. <laughs> the domain name. Yeah. But yeah, and so it's all self-published, by the way. Yep. So you don't have to go to any particular publisher's website. Just go to Grails Three Book. It's with a, an actual number three. Yep. Right. Yep. And I, I actually did register practicalgrails.com. Oh, because did you? Of the, yeah. So I wouldn't have to keep registering yeah. <laughs> uh, new domain names. So uh, I'll, I may make this switch in a little bit. But yeah. 
and my site is green, not orange yet. So let's we'll change that in time. <laughs> yeah, so. we're gonna win that battle eventually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you never let graphic designers, you know, run wild. And yeah, uh, mm -hmm. no, but yeah, I've been working out. So like, little backstory was that uh, last year at GreatConf, I said if no one announces a book, I'll start writing writing one, and it's. Uh, Taken about you know a little over a year I've been working, or, yeah, just right around a year I've been working on it. So um, yeah, writing a book is hard in your spare time, and three going on four kids and lots of wow. competing priorities. So congratulations, know. by the way, oh, going you. on. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Now, one thing I noticed in the book, I haven't been through the latest version yet, obviously, uh, but one thing that's that's really interesting about the book that you don't find elsewhere is uh, you have a lot about deployments to the cloud. And yeah. So I'm a uh, I've done a lot of systems admin stuff and you know DevOps stuff, so that's kind of I like having really simple, easy deployment as code and things like that. So I have some pretty detailed tutorial on how to do some deployments in there, and I'll, you know, as I said, it's a living book, so I'll kind of keep adding more in there as uh, as uh, users or you know uh, give me feedback too. That's um, there's been quite a few people who give me very detailed feedback in email or form or other things like that. So which I'm, providers did you? I remember there was an AWS. Deployment in there. Yeah. Was there a? There was a couple others. What? Uh, AWS is the. I have AWS. I was. I'm going to add Heroku and. Um, I can't remember the other one. See, that's but, the yeah. thing. I mean, if you look at the way Grails was created, sometimes a framework is almost too successful because what happens is it's it's so successful that it's tied to the problem that it solved and it gets associated with that in people's minds and when the problems that you're solving change they forget to go look again yeah. you know grails was ideally suited to your traditional spring hibernate generated view web app you mm -hmm. know which was the thing we did 10 15 years ago you know now in this world of microservices and contained you know containers rather or contained uh, yeah web containers rather than uh, deployment to web containers, people don't think of Grails, and they really should because mm -hmm. it's changed so much and it's so productive that yeah. way now. I talk about all the traditional stuff in the book, but I also focus on a lot of the API and uh, you know, kind of stateless microservice stuff that so you can deploy apps quickly, uh, succinctly. And uh, a lot of the recent changes you get, you were talking about um, disabling domain class injection, and you know, anecdotally, it saved half the memory in uh, my app. Just really? disabling that. It's, it took a little work to you know rework a few things, but it's worth it because my memory went down by half. So wow, that's that's dramatic. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, the basically the the reason for that is the uh, Spring produces a lot of dependency injection metadata, meta um, and it does so at runtime. Mm -hmm. And the bigger your class file. More memory that consumes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, as you go adding methods, and and in the case of domain classes, um, they tend to tend up to end up being quite big classes mm -hmm. because of the uh, GOM entity API and yep. and so forth, all the static methods and so forth. So that's why we recommend one of the reasons we recommend uh, people turn off uh, dependency injection, save memory, save performance. Mm -hmm. You did mention, by the way, one scary thing to me. Um, during your talk, as you said, apparently the Hibernate people are going to get rid of the Criteria API. Yeah. Which I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, 
Grails, of course, now I used the Criteria API in Hibernate years ago and it was ugly and awkward, you mm -hmm. know, and but Grails made that so easy mm -hmm. with the with Criteria Builder and the Create Criteria Builder and Detach Criteria and everything uh, until the where queries came along. I use that all the time. Yeah. So how's this going to affect Grails? When is this well, supposed um, to happen? What's the future on that? Do you know? Well, first of all, most people who build Grails applications don't interact directly with the Criteria API. It's, um, we use it uh, internally. So when you use things like Criteria Builder and Detached Criteria and all that kind of stuff, um, you're not writing logic that is interacting directly with the Hibernate Criteria oh. API. You're writing lo logic against GORM APIs that we then translate into the Hibernate Criteria. Right. Right. So, um, and Criteria will still work. Right, so there, there should be no reason it's more of a problem for us. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to update the internals of um, Brett of Bomb in mm -hmm. this case um, to to work against the JPA uh, query builder and, uh, API instead of instead of um, the Hibernate Criteria API. Oh, so it's not really getting rid of Hibernate Criteria Builder. It's using EJ, It's using JPA instead. It's using JPA instead. Oh, okay. Um, so JPA, did say that, JPA 2 and above has a has a equivalent of the Criteria API, okay. and we have to switch the internals of Quorum to use that. Uh, it's probably something we should have done um, a while ago. Uh, but if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix yeah, it. Yeah, and it'll all be clean to um, users is what you're saying. So, yeah, really, it's, I mean, the only case that you would, the user, user would be impact, impacted is, is if they were directly um, uh, interacting with the Hibernate Criteria API. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah that's risky which is, anyway. Which is not a, not normally, in most Grails applications, no, don't do that. Um, so, yeah, it's a problem for us, and we'll, we'll, we'll solve it and do the necessary upgrades. Okay, well, um, I'm not worried anymore. So you shouldn't, you shouldn't worry. There's nothing <laughs> to worry about. Was there <coughs> anything else in the book that specifically that, that we haven't talked about that you find interesting or dramatic or whatever? Um, mm -hmm. No, I think uh, I took the perspective of uh, when I built the book is, you know, day-to-day -day I built Grails apps as, you know, a consultant, and... So I took that experience and kind of what I've learned as building apps, and I kind of applied it in a you know practical way. Like, how do I solve my problem? Hmm. And I kind of illustrate problems and show how to solve those problems in Grails and with uh, the benefits that Grails gives you. So I think that's a um, I just kind of like that approach when books kind of go through like a real like here's your problem and here's how you solve it. So that's just kind of all the examples and all the things through the book. That's the approach I took. So. Yeah, I think the one thing we didn't mention is the actual name of the book. I mean, yes. we mentioned the website. Yes. So the book is called? Practical Grails 3. Practical Grails 3, right. Awesome. Right, so. which eventually will be Practical Grails 3 plus, or whatever, yes. 3 and 4, or whatever you like yep. there. Exactly. Okay. Well, we definitely wish you the best of luck on that. Definitely congratulations on Thank the award, you. which yes. had nothing to do with that. So just, you know, all the more reason. And I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, the it's keynote, I assume the slides will be always. available eventually somewhere. Uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll publish them at the end of the conference. Yeah, and Jeff had to leave, but, you know, we never really liked him anyway. Right? Yeah, that's so true. It doesn't it's matter. You know? No great loss. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's talking spring stuff now, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You know? yeah. uh, but I very much appreciate you taking the time. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, okay, and you. we'll see you a little bit later as well. Awesome. Thank you.